I want to take you to uh, a day that was just like any other day. There was nothing really special about this day. There was really no cause for alarm or attention. Everyone was going about their normal activities. Everyone was doing their normal things. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, different appointments that had to take place. It was just an ordinary day in every sense of the word until the prophet showed up at King David's house. David, you see, had committed a sin in his life that no one else knew about. David had not repented of this sin. It wasn't a, a sin that he committed out of failure or, uh, or some kind of ignorance, but it was a calculated sinful act that David had committed. David hadn't repented of his sin. David was out of position to begin with. He should have been out on a battle campaign somewhere in an outlying territory, taking new ground for his kingdom and leading his troops in battle. But instead, he stayed at home. And while David was staying at home, instead of being out on the battlefield, he saw a woman bathing on a rooftop. And he was attracted to her. Her name was Bathsheba. And she was married to a man named Uriah. David took Bathsheba into his quarters and slept with Bathsheba, another man's wife. And in order to hide this sin that he had committed, David had the husband Uriah sent into the front lines of battle and killed so that his secret sin would never be exposed and uncovered. But one day, on an ordinary day, on a day where everything was just like any other day, the man of God showed up to David's house. 2 Samuel chapter 12 tells us the story of that interaction between David and a prophet named Nathan. 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 1 says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children, and it ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But the rich man, the word of God says, took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, the rich man. And David said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. 
The man of God, Nathan, had come to David's house on an ordinary day when David had some secret sin that no one knew about. And Nathan had disarmed David by presenting the case to him in the form of a a fictional story, a parable about a rich man and a poor man and a ewe lamb and and you know the details, we just read it together and here he got David wound up about it because David thought that this great injustice had been done somewhere in his kingdom between a rich man and a poor man and a ewe lamb when in actuality the prophet, the man of God was setting David up and revealing to David the secret of his own sin. He told David, King David, you are that rich man. Because of what you've done with Bathsheba, because of what you took from Uriah, her husband, and because of your actions trying to cover it up, David, you are the man. Psalm chapter 51 is the record of David's response to this interaction. We don't really see it in 2 Samuel 17. We just see a very brief sentence from David some some verses later where David simply says, I've sinned against God. And that's really all we see in that story in the record in 2 Samuel. But what we do know is that later in David's life, David wrote a psalm to capture the emotions and everything associated with that moment where his sin was revealed and he was brought to the place where he was confronted with either denying the sin in his life or acknowledging it and repenting. David wrote in Psalm 51, a famous psalm, one that is referred to often, Psalm 51 verse 1, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness." According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. How many know God is concerned about our inner life? You, can, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make, known, make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, then I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. I want to minister from this story and this passage this morning about when you repent. When you repent. When the prophet Nathan confronted David about his sin, David's response went directly to the point. Psalm 51 verse 1 reflects that David had no preamble. There was no introductory. There was nothing flowery about his approach to being confronted with the reality of his own sin. He simply starts out with those words, Have mercy on me, O God. When you repent, there isn't any pretext or beating around the bush. We get directly down to business with God. When you approach God and are truly at the place where you are desiring to repent of sin, you can get directly down to business with God. God is ready to hear your prayer. I'm going to tell somebody right now, you came in today and you've got things going on in your life that need to be worked out through repentance and through the forgiveness of sin. And I want to give you hope today and tell you today is the day that you can repent and turn around and be forgiven of your sin. You don't have to make a preamble to it. Come on, somebody help me right now. God's ready to hear. God is more ready to forgive you of your sin than you're willing to let go of it. You think you're ready to let go of it? Just wait till you see how, how ready God is to forgive you of that sin. You don't have to wait. There isn't a waiting list. You don't have to take a number. You don't have to wait around. You don't have to draft up uh, you know, an apology letter to God. You don't have to do any of the. You don't have to go through an intermediary. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to talk to Brother Turner who led service. You don't have to ha speak to anybody else in the room. You can go directly to God. And God will hear your prayer. Have mercy on me, O oh God. Were David's very first words. He didn't have to go through a whole ritual of things in order to get God's attention because God is ready to receive somebody when they repent. When you repent, God is there immediately. God's there right then and that nothing gets God's attention faster than somebody who is ready to repent. When you repent, you can't repent and stay defensive at the same time. Hello? You can't repent and stay defensive at the same time. You can't repent and, and, and justify your sin to yourself at the same time. It doesn't work that way. It takes a completely bold and outright crying out to God, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I've sinned against you, you only, God. I need your mercy and your grace today. I can't go another day, another hour, or another minute. God, I need you to forgive me of my sin so that I can be right with you. 
There's no defensiveness that you can hold on to. You can't try to justify or validate what you've been doing if you want God to forgive you of it. It doesn't work that way. That's called having one foot in one world and one foot in another. And it doesn't, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. God does not honor that kind of repentance and that kind of prayer for forgiveness. It doesn't work with God. The only kind of repentance and the only kind of prayer for forgiveness that works with God is the kind that David presents to us when he says, Oh God, have mercy on me. Nowhere does David claim and try to say, You know, God, people are out to get me. This is all just a, this is all just a misunderstanding, God. Nowhere does David point the finger at the man of God, at the prophet, and say, Nathan was so mean to me. Did you hear what he said to me, God? Do you know what that did to my feelings when Nathan said that to me? Nowhere does David go that route. David outright says, I have sinned against God. Oh, God, have mercy on me. I'm in need of forgiveness. That's why verse 3, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see it. Verse 3 of Psalm 51, David actually says the words, and I think this is important. David actually says the words. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. How hard is it to admit that you were wrong? It's tough, isn't it? Has anybody, is anybody in the room good at acknowledging that they were wrong? Because if so, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to set up a meeting. I can learn some things. I don't like admitting, Brother Jake, I don't like admitting that I'm wrong. I don't like it. It's not, I mean, it's good for my flesh when I do it. It's good for me. But I don't. I don't really particularly enjoy it, Brother Joe. I just don't. And I, that's, why I think, that's why I think that actually saying the words is important. When you repent, when you ask God for forgiveness, you actually have to say the words. You know, when my kids get wound up at each other and one of them trespasses against one somehow, you know what we got to do? We got to actually say the words. It's not enough just to have a sad look on your face. got to say the words. Say the words. The words are hard to say. I'm sorry. I did wrong. I was wrong. I am wrong. I acknowledge it. I acknowledge my transgression. It's difficult to do, but I think it's absolutely essential. When you repent, you, gotta, you need to say the words. You have to say the words. You know how I know that's important? Here's how I know. Here's how I know. Ruth chapter 1. Naomi's in Moab. She's got two daughters-in-law. One of them's named Orpah, and one of them's named Ruth. And they're fixing, Naomi's fixing to go back to Bethlehem. She's fixing to go on home. And the daughters-in-law each have a choice to make. Am I going to stay here in Moab and try to make a life here, or am I going to go on with Naomi to, to Israel and try to make a life there? And if you know the story, you know Ruth, the one the book's named after, she makes the decision to go on to Israel and go with Naomi. Orpah, the other one, decides to stay in Moab and not go with Naomi, and we never hear from her again. You know what they both did? Orpah, I know for sure. Orpah, it says, she, she hugged Naomi's neck and wept. They had a good cry right there on the border between Moab and Israel. But after all the tears were dried up, Orpah went on back to Moab 
And Ruth said, I don't like the way that I've been living. I'm going to live a different way. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Your ways are going to be my ways. And she became part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. We actually have to say the words. It's not that the, the emotions of repentance are important. The tears are, are appropriate at times whenever we feel true sorrow for how we trespassed and transgressed against God. All of that is in order. All of that has a place. But there comes a time, brothers and sisters, where we actually have to say the words. David said, I acknowledge my sin that I have transgressed against you, God. We can't miss it. We can't skip over it. Because here's what saying the words does for us. It forces us to take responsibility for our sin. We have this human tendency to pass the buck. Say, it's because of my family. It's because of where I work. It's because of where I go to school. It's because of this. It's because of my genetics. My DNA predisposes me to it. It's because of this and that and the other. Brothers and sisters, we, we have to take responsibility for our own relationship with God. The word says that we have to work out, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's an intensely personal thing, and we must say the words. Must happen when we repent. He also acknowledged not just that I've transgressed, but look at verse 4. This is important too. David says, against you and you only have I sinned. There's some weird ideas floating around about why things happen to people. And here, here, here's, the, here's the reality. Sin is against God. It's not the same. And here's why it's important to say the words and to actually take this approach when we repent. When you sin, sin is not a violation of the laws of nature. It's not the universe's way of telling you that you did something wrong. That, all that stuff's nonsense. There's a lot of different ways that people use to, you know, the, uh, you know I, I did something wrong and the universe is punishing me. Or, or the world, you know, karma. Or, or, or all kinds of different notions about the way the world works. The truth of the matter is, sin is rebellion against God. The only person we can truly sin against is God. Now, there may be another person involved that we, we hurt them when we sin. But understand, every human being is made in the image of God. So to sin against a person is to sin against God. Right? David had sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba. But those were people that were made in the image of God. And so David was able to say, God, I've sinned against you and you only. David needed to get right with God before. Now, I believe in getting right with people. But before we get right with people, we must get right with God. Get it in the right order. You need to get right with God over something when you repent. Sin is not unique or rare. Every human being enters the world with a sinful nature. That's what verse 5 says. David says, I was brought forth in iniquity. My mother conceived me in, in sin. My mother conceived me. Sinful nature, sinful behavior is something that every single one of us in the room deals with. It's not unique. If you're feeling, if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Ghost right now because there's some secret sin in your life, there's something in your life that's unaddressed, 
that hasn't been repented of, that hasn't been forgiven, that you haven't brought to light and brought to the Lord, I want you to know it's not unique. You're not in the minority. It's something that every human being deals with. We were all shapen in iniquity. We all have a sinful nature. But whenever we repent, the word of God says that there's a creative and a restorative work that happens. Listen to what David prays. And this is what God does. David prays it and then God does it. Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See those words, create, renew. Skip down two verses. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. This is something that only God can do. It's a new creation. It's a renewal. It's a restoration. And it's a pulling up and elevating and upholding. And no matter what word you want to attach to it, and I think, you, I think all of those words describe what God does when we repent. It is a work of the Holy Ghost. It is something that only God can do. What God does in your heart when you repent, it can't be duplicated by anything else in this world. I believe that there's a lot of different treatments that have a place. I believe talking to somebody and talking to a counselor has a place. I believe that some medications and some programs of rehabilitation have a place. But when you repent, there's something that happens in your life that only God can do. Hear me loud and clear right now. This is something that the world, no treatment plan, no medication, no conversation with another person, none of those things can duplicate what God will do at an altar of repentance. When you go to God and say, God, I've transgressed against you. My life has some things going on in it that I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want to be a part of it. I want to walk away from it. I want to be forgiven of it. Listen to me. There's something that the Holy Ghost does when a person approaches God like I've just described that cannot happen any other way any other way it's a work of the Holy Ghost in your life God starts to work on a person's heart and starts to change somebody from the inside out that's what happens when you repent when you repent it's more powerful than any medicine It's better than any counseling session. It's better than any kind of rehab you'll ever go through. When you repent, when you ask God to forgive you of your sin and you make a commitment to walk away from it and not be involved in it anymore, God will meet you in that place and give you strength to do what you need to do. It opens the door to the next steps in God's plan of salvation. Once you repent, you're able to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Not just forgiven, but they will be completely forgiven, washed away, and put into remission. And God will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a promise and it's a gift. 
and it can only happen in your life when you repent. If you want to open up the door to whatever God has for you next in your life, it happens when you repent. If you want God to unlock the miraculous in your life, it happens when you repent. If you want some things in your life to start getting loosed out of your life and you don't want anything to do with them anymore because you know that they're causing damage in your life or to your family, it can happen when you repent. I'm trying to preach to somebody today. The key to your, the key to your victory is repentance. The key to your victory is exposing the secret things in your life that you don't think anybody else knows about. And nobody else has to know about it, but you better get it right with God. You better get it right with God. There are things that only God can do in a person's life, and it all starts when you repent. Because all of those other things that are available to us in the world, and I made qualification for it and said that there's some of them that I, I believe in, and I would, I would encourage some to be involved in some of those things, but not without repentance. Repentance and forgiveness of sin comes first. Because repentance gets down to the root of the issue. Some of those other things, they can treat the symptoms. How many understand the difference between treating the symptoms and treating the cause? There isn't a medicine or a session or anything in this world that can treat the root cause of what is in our sinful humanity. It's sin. It's a nature that is predisposed to sin. And the only thing that can deal with it the way that it needs to be dealt with is a sovereign move of God in your life. Where we, like David, come to God and say, God, I've transgressed against you. I acknowledge it. I've sinned against you. And I need to be forgiven. Create something new in me, oh God. Renew something in me, Jesus. Lord, restore and uphold some things in my life that I can't do on my own is that sinful nature that each and every one of us has that's the root of the entire problem and when you get into a secret place with God even in a room full of people like this when you get down on your knees before God and you start to pray and say God I need to be forgiven of my sin I need to be renewed in my relationship with you there's some things that I've been hiding that I need to get out of my system and walk away from when you start to do that there is a creative and restorative new work that God does in your life Saints of God, either we believe it or we don't. Either we believe God really forgives sin or we don't. Some of you are being held, host held hostage by condemnation and shame and guilt. Either we believe he forgives it or we don't. And I, for one, believe that when you come to God with a contrite heart and with true sorrow for sin... And you're not mechanically going through the motions. But you approach God with humility and acknowledge the presence of sin. That God really does forgive sin. The Apostle John wrote, he says, when we ask God to forgive our sin, he is faithful and just to do so. He will forgive. He will wash it clean. And what God does in that moment, he starts to transform that, that essential nature of who we are, that sinful nature, God starts to take it and 
rehabilitated himself. He starts to renew it and transform it and do a new creation work. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. That's why Jesus, when he was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, was talking about the new birth experience. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Two verses later, he said it again. Most assuredly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking there about being spiritually born again. He's talking about a process of salvation that only God can work out, but Hear me this morning, it begins when we repent. You cannot be born again of the water and of the Spirit unless you repent. You can get in the water and we can dunk you, and you can get wet, but if you haven't repented, you're just getting wet. You can only be born again of the the potential of everything that God wants to do in your life. And brothers and sisters, this applies to us that have lived for the Lord for a number of years now too. The potential, the the key to unlocking all the potential of what God wants to do in your life is repentance and living a repented life and staying in alignment with God. It's not enough to turn around one day and have a singular moment of repentance and then Go whatever direction you want to go from repentance, living the repented life, living a sanctified, holy life is about staying in step with the Spirit. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, he says, we must stay in step with, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's what he wrote. Paul says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Romans chapter 8. There's something about staying in lockstep with the will of God. Talking about repentance today, when we repent. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's what the prophet Ezekiel preached about generations before when he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. There's a new creation work that God wants to do. Let me zoom out. This is in my notes, but let me zoom out and tell you. That the work that God wants, the new creation work that God wants to do in our life, God's doing it in the whole, the whole world. He's doing it in the whole world. What God's going to do in your life, it's not insignificant, but it's a microcosm. It's, it's, it's in a nutshell of what God is doing in the entire earth. That's why when, when the apostles wrote about what's going to come at the end of the age and how God is going to set the whole earth, the whole world right the way that it should be, there's talk of renewal. It's not that God is going to destroy everything. It's that God, God doesn't throw anything away. God, doesn't throw, God never gives up on anything. He doesn't throw things away. He doesn't throw people away. 
and he's not going to throw the world away. He's going to renew it. It's going to be an overhaul project. It's going to be unrecognized. It, it says that there is a new heaven and a new earth. It is going to be new because it's going to be unrecognizable. He's going to conduct a complete overhaul of it, and that's what he wants to do in you. And it starts when you repent. Creation, the work of creation, new creation even, is always tied to communion. It's always tied to being in relationship and a connection with God is what I mean. When God does a new creative work, there's always the expectation that it's being done in order that he can have a connection with you. Let me prove it. I didn't just pull that out of my ear. Psalm 51, verse 11. What's the very next thing that these, these verses are sandwiched. So he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. There's something about whenever we repent that there's a restoration of connection with God. That's what God wants. It's not enough for God just to clean you up and get everything wiped clean out of your life, and you get completely forgiven, and then he just sets you there and lets you just stay static and inert and, and just, just exist until the end of your days. But God wants to forgive your sin, and God wants to see you repented so that he can have relationship with you. See, God, God can't coexist with sin. With someone that's in open rebellion against him, you're at opposition with God. But when you get forgiven of your sin and you acknowledge, God, I've been doing it my way for too long. I want to do it your way. When you say, God, let's do it your way, that's when God can move in and you can start to have a relationship with God that's deeper than any relationship that you've ever known in your life because he is your creator and he's willing to do a new creative work when you repent. God originally, see, God originally created human beings so that we could be in relationship with him. New, when God does a new creative work in your life, it's always about a connection with him. That's what it's always about. When God created Adam in the garden, it was so that God could have a being, not an animal, but a an intelligent being, a spiritual being to commune with. When God created woman in the garden, it was because it was not good that Adam should be alone. So when God does a creative work, it's about relationship. It's about connection. And when, he, when you repent and God establishes, reestablishes that line of connection between you and him, that creative work has been about relationship all along. And hear me, it's not just about your connection with God, but it's about others' connection with God. I'll prove that too. Don't take my word for it. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Let's read the entire four verses. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11, don't cast me away from your presence. There he's centered on me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation 
and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then verse 13, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. See, the work that God wants to do in your life when you repent, as the musicians come, the work that God wants to do in your life when you repent, it's absolutely about you. But it's absolutely about others, too. Zoom out for just a minute, and let's get a bigger picture, because I don't want us to walk away feeling like this is all always about us. There's a bigger picture that God has in mind for your life. He doesn't want to save you just so, just for the fact of saving you, but God wants to do something in you and through you on the, for the behalf of others. That's what the Word of God says. Verse 13, David says, David says, God, if you will forgive me of my sin, God, if you will create in me a clean heart, if you'll renew me, if you'll restore me, if you'll uphold me, God, not only do I want to be in your presence and I want to have that personal connection with you, but God, if you'll do this work in my life that no one else can do, that I can't do on my own, if you'll do that, God, I will teach transgressors your way. I'll go and find somebody and tell them about it. I'll convert people to your ways, God. I'll convert people to you. When we repent is when it's possible. And when connection gets restored, hear me this morning. When you repent and that connection gets restored, worship is easy. Some of us struggle in our worship, such as an environment we had just a little while ago. Some of us struggle in an environment like that, and sometimes we might cover it by saying, you know, I'm just not a very demonstrative person. I just, my personality won't really permit me to engage in the way that I should, and, and, or I'm tired, or, and, and all those things certainly we can justify and we can go round and round and we can go 15 rounds about praise and worship and the style of doing things and, 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 and all of those kinds of things. But hear me, when you repent and you're right with God, worship is easy. Worship is easy. Here's how I know that. Psalm 51, verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The very next verse, Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. I wish we'd stand right now and just start to worship the Lord. I wish we'd just pick up where we left off a moment ago and just start to work. There's a sweet presence of the Lord that's in this place because there's hope in the building because there's a God who will forgive sin. He's so ready to forgive sin and deal with us and help us and help move you forward into your next step with him. Would you just begin to worship him right now? Somebody that's forgiven, somebody that's redeemed right now, why don't you just... It's easy to worship him. Could you just worship him right now and create an atmosphere of prayer? and God created you as a worshiper. Come on, someone that knows about grace. Somebody that's had mercy meet them in the middle of their mess. You ought to worship the Lord right now.
These altars are open. I want us to start to flood around this altar right now. Come on. Come on. This should be easy right now. We're among the redeemed. This should be easy.